of Ezra this morning. So uh, I'll let you have five minutes to find that. When I was going to Bible school, as a freshman year in Bible school, uh, we would pause during the middle of the morning morning uh, classes. The classes went till noon, and they would have chapel. And one of the professors would uh, teach, or they'd bring in a, a guest speaker from one of the churches in the area, or maybe a missionary. And, uh, and this uh, pastor came in and said, uh, we're going to be reading out of Hezekiah chapter 3 this morning. And all the freshmen were going with me among them. You know, where, where is that Hezekiah in there? You know, well, there's no Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king, but he, it's not a book of the Bible. But Ezra is a book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to note one verse in chapter 10 and verse 4. And then we're going to lay down some principles, and finally, at the end of the message, we'll get back to Ezra chapter 10 and verse 4. Ezra is about the nation of Israel, Judah primarily, and it's about spiritual renewal of a, a nation. And um, we're not going to apply this to the United States as a nation, but the principles that are found here in spiritual renewal not only work for a nation, but they work for us individually. And I want to uh, note those principles and challenge us to uh, be renewed. In Ezra chapter 10 and verse 4, we have Shechaniah speaking to Ezra. And he says, Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. We're going to travel back to the nation of Israel in the time of Babylonian captivity and uh, the renewal after the Babylonian captivity. For years and years, in the early history of Israel and Judah, they had grown further and further from God got into idol worship, and uh, God, to get their attention and, in essence, give them a good spanking as a nation, he allowed Babylon to come down and to destroy Jerusalem, the temple, and take back thousands of people as captive back to the country of Babylon. Jeremiah 
had already written predicting that and Jeremiah had said that that captivity was going to last for like 70 years. There's one thing that God taught them in the Babylonian captivity and that is you're not going to worship idols. And but after they left the Babylonian captivity, the Jews up to this very point in time have never worshipped idols. Because of that rebellion, um, like I said, they've taken into Babylon as captive. And uh, the psalmist wrote about that time. It was a time when the temples destroyed the citizens, the children of Israel are devastated. The psalmist said, by the rivers of Babylon, Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they wasted us, required us of mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And so here they are weeping. Their captives are saying, Come on, sing to us. And there's no joy in their heart. There's nothing to sing about. They take in their harps and just hung them on the trees. And, and they're in a sad, sad place. The time frame of Ezra is in 605 uh, before Christ, B.C. Babylon begins invading the country of Israel, deporting captives. In 587 B.C., Jerusalem is destroyed. And as we said, Jeremiah prophesied that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And then around about 539, Babylon was very self-sufficient. You've heard of the hanging gardens of Babylon, and they had high walls, and they actually thought that they could exist uh, without ever being conquered. And uh, the Cyrus, I mean, not Cyrus, but Persia had been growing in uh, power, the Medo-Persian Empire, and they went down to try to capture Babylon. It's a very, very interesting story, and I don't want to chase too many rabbits, but, but inside of Babylon, on the night that they are captured, the king is in there, and he's drinking out of the golden vessels that belong to God in the temple, and they're partying, and a hand comes on the wall, says, many, many, tickle you farsen, and the and, and, the, the knees of the king smote one against the other, and it wasn't because it was 40 below, it was because he was scared. And, and it, he, the message is, you've been waiting to balance and found wanting, but how are they going to get into, the, into there and capture that? Well, what the king did of, of, the, uh, of the Medo-Persian Empire, he blocked off the rivers that flowed through Babylon, the water level dropped, and they went into the city under the wall in the riverbed and, and almost immediately, it, it took less than the night for Babylon uh, to fall. And with that fall, we have, we have the king of the Medo-Persian Empire uh, 
sending the children of Israel back to rebuild the land. If you look over in chapter 1 here of Ezra, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, that is the 70-year prediction, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all the people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem." And so he gives them permission and encourages them to go back and build the wall. Now, uh, there's a very interesting uh, little side thing to this, and that is that here archaeology in the 19th century discovered an uh, uh, item which was called the Cyrus Cylinder, and it had writing on it. And this pagan king, you wonder why, why would he even be concerned about uh, going back to Jerusalem and, and building the temple? Why would, why would he give some thought to it? Well, here's what they found written on that cylinder. It says, uh, uh, well, let me just read you the, the old statement that was found in, in this, uh, on this roll. Why would Cyrus, a pagan king, issue a decree for the Jews to return to Israel and rebuild the temple? In the 19th century, the Cyrus Cylinder was discovered. It reveals that he had a policy of restoring people to their native lands and religions, asking them to pray to their gods on his behalf. A portion of it reads, May all the gods whom I have resettled in their sacred cities ask daily Bel and Nebo for a long life for me. So, so he thought if he would get all the religions he could on his side and praying to his gods, well, that he would have a long life. Well, the foolishness of those in authority. About 50,000 people, Jewish people, return in this first thing, that, in this first return that's, that's given to us and we see in these first three verses. A man by the name of Zerubbabel, who is in the lineage of David, king of Israel, and a high priest by the name of Joshua, uh, go back. And the chapters 1 through 6 here of Ezra concern this time period. They, they start building the temple. After starting building the temple, about 16 years into building the temple, that uh, stops. And God is going to, if you read the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah, God's going to take Zechariah and Haggai and they're going to hammer out and they're going to say, get back to building and, and try to encourage them to build. And then in chapter 7, we have this man Ezra comes, that the book is written after, uh, comes on the scene. He's 81 years. This whole thing is taking a long time. It's 81 years after that first group had went, started building the temple, and then ceased building the temple. If you look in chapter 7 and verse 10, you'll see it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. 
And so Ezra appears on the scene. Ezra didn't come back to build the temple, but he'd come back to build the people. And he's going to be preaching to the people. And he's uh, going to be instrumental in trying to bring about spiritual renewal. <laughs> now, let me talk to you about spiritual renewal. Of course, there can be no spiritual renewal until first there's a regeneration and we're born again. But from time to time, you and I can find ourselves far from the Lord, even though we're his children. And sometimes it's though we're sitting by the rivers of Babylon, our harps are hung in the tree, and there's no uh, the joy of the Lord in our heart. There's no melody in our, in our life. It's possible as a child of God to grow cold and distance from God. God's not moved, but we've moved. And we go through the motions. We can come to church and sing the songs and pay our tithe, but there's no fervency and there's no intimate relationship with the Lord. And one day we may awake and hopefully soon to find out that sin has taken us further than we wanted to go and it's kept us longer than we wanted to stay and it's cost us more than we wanted to pay. And so sometimes like Israel, we find ourselves in the need of spiritual renewal. And there's some principles found in this book that really speak to how spiritual renewal can take place in our lives. And the first thing I wanted to see in this book is that, that spiritual renewal really begins by the unseen hand of God working in our lives. Remember, God talked about Lot, and Lot was a child of God, but Lot really got messed up there and even was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God's unseen hand was working on him constantly, wasn't it? It said that God vexed his righteous soul daily. Here was a saved man living in a horrid Sodom and Gomorrah, but God's vexing his righteous soul daily. And spiritual renewal comes to my heart in, in that God, I'm always, not, I'm always uneasy. There's always something about me that is troubling me and I kind of get in a position where, you know, I'm slamming doors and kicking dogs because there's no peace in my life. Well, God, God is always, there can be no rest to, to our souls when we're not in the will of God. And here, in a very marvelous way, over a, a span of a number of years, God is laying out some renewal, and, and he tells us something about uh, this, that it begins with him. We saw there in verses 1 and 2 that there was a guy named Cyrus who, who had taken over ruler, rulership in the, the Medo-Persian Empire, and he sends them back. But I want you to just uh, keep your place here, but I want you to flip over further in your Bible to Isaiah chapter uh, 44. Isaiah chapter 44. 
Isaiah written before the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah was written a warning about the captivity. But Isaiah says something very particular in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28. So Isaiah, even though Ezra comes before Isaiah in the Bible, Isaiah is written before Ezra and the events of Ezra. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28, the Bible says this, Thus saith of Cyrus, that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. <laughs> and so Isaiah is prophesying that a man by the name of Cyrus is going to perform the pleasure of God, and he's going to uh, use him that the, that the, the temple will be built and the foundations will, will be laid. And then if you go over to chapter 45 and verse 4, it says of Cyrus, I am the Lord and there is none else. Uh, I mean, verse 4, For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, for thou hast not known me. And he's talking about Cyrus there again, if you see in verse 1 of chapter 45. Well, here's what I want you to understand. This man Cyrus is being mentioned here in Isaiah by this king. He hadn't even been born yet. It's going to be 150 years later that Cyrus appears upon the scene of history. What am I saying? Well, God took the initiative. God had this in plan. You see, God, God has a plan for our lives. That he wants us to live in a... In, in a having comfort for our soul, that he wants us to find rest for our soul. And, and God took initiative here in, in Israel, even before uh, he was born, telling them that this is going to happen. Now listen, if you're a child of God here this morning, and you're not in the perfect will of God, God's going to come hunting you down. He's going to take the initiative. Perhaps today he's calling you to give up a besetting sin in your life. Perhaps today he's saying, just a closer walk with me. Come and walk closer with me. Perhaps today... He's wanting you to move out of cultural Christianity. Move out of machinery type religion where we follow a set of rules and we do a set of things. And that we might, that we might begin our day instead of saying, you know, this is what expected of me today. This is what a good Christian life is, it would be identified. But that we might get on our face before the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? A personal you see, you see, it's pretty easy to go to a church and they have this list and you do this and do this and do this and do this and do this and, do this and, and you'll be considered accepted in the beloved. <laughs> I mean, you'll be considered, these are accepted. You're a fine Christian. But it's quite different 
to get on our face before God and, and, and commune with God and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because it moves ourselves out of the realm of the comfortable, of the acceptable, and puts us in a vulnerable place where we're going to have to humble ourselves. But, oh, listen, I, I want you to understand that there's a peace and a comfort and a joy and a peace when we come to that place. And here, he's taking the initiative. He calls them to rebuild. And this rebuilding, let me say to you that this thing about spiritual renewal is, is a personal thing. When you see over there in the verses that we read a while ago in chapter 1, you see how he's worded this. And he says, uh, 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 chapter 1 and verse 1, it said, Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and he made a proclamation through all the kingdom and put it on his writing, saying, Thus saith the Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. And then it says, uh, in Jerusalem, which is Judah, Who is there among you of all the people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. And so when he gave this instructions, he said, who is there among you? He didn't say you had to do it, you had to do it. But this thing about walking closer to the Lord, this thing about spiritual renewal is a personal thing. It's not just doing what is expected, but it's doing what God is leading you to do. And who is there among you that, that it begins, listen, true Christianity is not conforming, but true Christianity is following the Lord, drawing close to the Lord, living in the Lord's will, to have a relationship with the Lord. Renewal. Is not mandatory. In Romans chapter 6, Paul really talks about renewal when he said, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. When he says, Let not, that's, uh, that's something that we can do or we don't have to do. Christianity is not a set of rules, but Christianity is a relationship with the Lord of the universe. Neither yield your members as instruments of righteousness, but yield yourself. And so he talks about yielding. And so the first thing is to understand that God is going to be working on the hearts of those who are distant from him, but they're his children. God is going to be drawing you. God is going to be vexing you. God is going to be dealing with your heart to, to, to render, to, to, to draw nigh to me. You see... He's not a God who's trying to set a standard that's going to make you miserable, but he's a God who wants to be a part of our lives and, our, and us to be uh, in his will, that, 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 that we can come to the place where the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
What helps me to get up and keep going? It's not just that, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by bootstraps. I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to start reading the Bible and, and nothing wrong with that. But what really strengthens me is that I'm overjoyed in being God's child. The joy of the Lord helps me keep on keeping on. And so that's the first thing. He's going to reach out to us. Secondly, if you look here in Ezra chapter 3, you'll see that in verse 2, that when they got there, the first thing they did was not go and lay out the dimensions of the temple. It wasn't to build the foundations and, you know, get the stones over there. But the first thing they did when they got to Jerusalem to build the temple, they built the altar first. Chapter 3 and verse 2. Then stood up Jehoshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then down in verse 6, from the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They hadn't even begun building, but they built the altar first. Well, salvation, of course, precedes service, but sacrificial living, worshiping at the altar, from those who are saved also precedes building. We've got to realize, and I go back to what I taught in Sunday school not too long ago, but that, that, that Martha, when Jesus went down there to the house of Mary and Martha, Martha was was busy about taking care of the Lord, serving serving the Lord. And uh, she came over and said, Lord, why don't you tell Mary to come and help me? And, and so the Bible said that she was serving, but she was much cumbered about in her serving. And, and, and he said that, that Mary has chosen the best part. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. It wasn't that Mary was lazy or that Mary wasn't going to have to sometimes serve people, but it was the fact that, that restoration, our relationship with the Lord, doesn't begin in service. It begins in worship. And let me tell you sometimes, the churches can get this all backwards. We need to do, 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 do. When the Lord says no, what's most important is your relationship with me. And so they built the altar. There at the altar, sacrifices were made. And the Bible tells us in Romans 12 that we want to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That God wants a relationship he doesn't want just service, and Mary was encumbered about by much service. 
And in this time period, if you look there in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites, the chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, the temple, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So the people who not discerned the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Here, here were men that had been taken captive. They'd lived for 70 years up in Babylon. They remember, they must have been younger men, but they remembered what the temple looked like. And they'd been up there in Babylon for 70 years with their harps on the trees. And now the altar is made. And hope springs in their heart that that joy that I had on the day I was saved can be a perpetual thing with me. That we have a house of God. That we have a relationship with God. That we have a place where we can meet with God. And that's not just this building here, but we can go in the quietness of our home and into a quiet place and meet with God. But it begins at the altar that I sacrifice that I give up some things. Now know what happens. Here's a people that have come. They want to restore Jerusalem. They want the house of God to be in the, in the world again. They want to be a people that can take the gospel to the world and be the representatives of God. And they want to build God's house. And let me tell you, as soon as you get serious about following the Lord, and as soon as you get serious about rededicating your life, as soon as you get serious about spiritual renewal, <laughs> the war begins. You see, Satan knows that he can't have your soul if it's been saved. But he wants to take you and I and he wants us to live in such a way that glory that belongs to God is taken away. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. God saved us that we could have a home in heaven. But he also saved us that our lives might have fulfillment and peace in bringing honor to him and glory to him. And so he's going to come along and he's going to oppose spiritual renewal. Look what happened. Chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God, as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezra Haddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. <laughs> So let us help you build. We just need to put a few idols in there. But Zerubbabel and Jehoshua, Jeshua, and the rest of the chiefs of the fathers of Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, 
But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus and King Persia, King of Persia, has commanded us. And so they were wanting them to compromise. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the king of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, this is what they said down in verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that was sent to Artaxerxes, the king. Thy servants, the men on the side of the river in such a time. Be it known, here's, the, here's these enemies. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are coming to Jerusalem, building the rebellious city and the bad city. And to set up walls thereof and join the foundations. Be it known now unto the king that if this city be built and the wall set up again, that they will not pay taxes, <laughs> pay toll, tribute, and custom. And so shalt thou damage the revenue of the kings. They say, if you let this go on, you're going to be losing money. Now, because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meant for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king the search may be made in the book of the records. Thy father shows that thou find in the book of the records and know that this city, Jerusalem, is a rebellious city and hurtful unto kings and provinces and that they may have moved sedition within the same of old time of which cause which was city destroyed. And so they said these guys have not, they've been rebels all along, these, these Jews. We certify the king, if this city be built again and the walls are set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side of the river. Well, this is a bad bunch. You can read about them in 2 Kings and they're, they're, uh, what became the Samaritans in Christ's day. They were idol worshipers. Uh, well, let's go over the 2 Kings and you'll see what kind of people we're dealing with here. In 2 Kings chapter 17, in 2 Kings chapter 17, we're reading a lot of verses, but I hope you're staying with me. We're going to get back to our text, I guarantee you. 2 Kings 17 and verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, let's see. Oh, I'm in 1 Kings. We can't have Elijah in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 7. And 17, <laughs> we'll find it out. We'll work our way through here. 2 Kings 17, 13. And the Lord testified against Israel and all the prophets and by all the seers, turn you from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers when I sent you by the servants of the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hearkened, hardened their necks like in the neck of their fathers and and they did not believe in the Lord God, their God, the Lord their God, and they rejected his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen and were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. 
And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. Well, they were a bad, bad bunch, and they're wanting to join in. And then when they wouldn't join in, they wrote this nasty letter to the king to stop the building. And so they uh, are effective. 16 years have gone by and Darius is now king. And now Darius writes back in chapter six and gives them permission, but the point is this. When you determine in your heart to dedicate your life to the Lord, to live closer to the Lord, to walk closer to the Lord, to get in your Bible, there's going to be opposition. But they put it aside, and 16 years after that letter was written, there's no building taking place. And finally in chapter six, in the first three verses, permission is given to rebuild again. And also we find in the book of Haggai, we're making you search your scriptures today. <laughs> If you can go to the book of Haggai, I might have to turn to the front of my Bible to find it. You guys won't tell Pastor Demo that, will you? Haggai. Oh, it's on page 1167. But you don't have my Bible. In Haggai, chapter 1, look at here. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the king's high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord host, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not time to build it. You know, like I said, they've quit building. Then came the word of the Lord from, by Haggai the prophet, saying, it is time for ye, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. He said, you don't have time to build God's house, but you got time to build your own house. And it's, uh, and it's really, when it talked about sealed houses, you know, it's a, a really nice wood in there. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Is it time for renewal in your life? That's what we're getting at. You've shown much and bring in little. Isn't that something? When God's dealing with me about a closer walk, I'm working and I'm sowing and I'm sowing and I'm, I'm wanting to, expecting a big crop to come in. After all, you know, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And expecting a big crop to come in. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You're clothed you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put into a bag with holes. 
Listen. God's not going to bless a rebellious child. It may not always be financially. He won't bless you. And your, and your bag has got holes in it. Thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I'll take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much and lo, it come to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because my house that is waste, and you run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I call for a drought against, upon the land, and upon the mountain, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon all that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, upon cattle, and upon all the labor of thy hands. And so, uh, it's important. Now, so they build. And you'll see there in chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16 that the temple is completed. It says, And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of Darius. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. And so all seems well. But now... We come to the critical time for spiritual renewal. We've worshiped at the altar. We, they built that first. The temple is completed and is completed with joy. The compromise that the Samaritans called for had been rejected. After Haggai had written to them, they had focused upon not their houses, but God's house. But something still smells bad. All this is good, but there's something still bad here. All is well in our scenario. We've won the day. We've finished the work. We have a temple to worship in, but laying under the surface in the nation of Israel and Israel's spiritual well-being is that which is not being talked about. That which gave the heathen an opportunity to blaspheme God. That which was so personal And so problematic, it's just been left alone rather than drawn out and dealt with. It compares to us who have desired spiritual renewal. We return to the church, we've dealt with compromise. We endure opposition, opposition. But in my spiritual house, in my soul, way back here, in the back bedroom of my soul, and back in the closet, 
in the back corner of my closet. Way back there where nobody sees and nobody talks about. Underneath a stack of books and shoved in there back in the corner, something lies hidden in my soul. There's got to be drug out. If we're going to have spiritual renewal, the whole house needs to be clean. Something that's God dishonoring. Something that has tentacles that go out so far and into so many things that if I drag it out and deal with it, it's going to be difficult. Yet it has to be drug out. Romans says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die, but ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Mortify, therefore, your members which upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I can do all these things that we talked about, build an altar, get, get, dedicate my life, but still, some place in my, in my soul, some place in the house that my soul is, back in that back bedroom, back on the shelf in the back corner, there's something that needs to be drug out. And God says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he'll not hear me. I can't know it's there and not deal with it. And so we find the temple built, all seems well, the rejoicing, chapter 8 and verse 18, we find, and by the good hand of God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, and uh, God is seemingly blessing. And then look in chapter 9, chapter 9. And verse 4. They were assembled unto every, everyone that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I said astonished until the evening sacrifice. Well, let's get this begin in verse 1. Now when the things were done, the princesses came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abomination, even of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians and the Amorites. And they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those of the land. Israel and the nation of Israel is known to be a separated people. Yet the hand of the prince of the rulers have been chief in this trespass. He said these people, these guys that are leaders in Israel, they've married pagans. And the children that they're producing, they're producing pagans. 
verse 3, And when I heard this saying, I rent my garments and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard, and I sat down astonished. And he grieves over the nation. He can't believe it. We built the temple. We built the altar. We've resisted compromise. But here, the leaders of the country are married to pagans. And so he's sitting here. He's, he's sat there to minister to Israel. And he's sitting there. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that this sin is in my life. And, and I can't believe that God wants me to Drag it out. Why can't I just keep this? Why can't I just keep this thing in my life? Why do I have to give up everything, Lord? Well, it seems to me like he gave up everything. And so he's sitting there, stewing about it, not wanting to deal with it. And this man, Shechaniah, comes to him, comes to Ezra, and he says in chapter 10 and verse 4, I told you we'd get back there. He says in chapter 10 and verse 4, Get up, Ezra. Arise. Get up. For this matter belongs to thee. This is your responsibility. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage. And do it. Get up in your spirit. Realize that that's got to be taken out of that closet. And godly people will back you. But drag it out and do it. What he had to do. We see down there in verse 11. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and to do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from strange wives. I think the key there is the word separate. I don't think that God was telling them, you know, you just kick your wife out and kick all your children out and don't take care of them. I think he wanted, I think he, we don't have a God that would do that. But he is saying this, you're not living with them any longer, and you're not fathering kids by them any longer. They're pagans. That thing in the back closet may be difficult, but it's got to be dealt with. 
if real spiritual renewal in a church or in my family, it's got to be dealt with. And so perhaps here, you're sitting here today, and there's been this thing that, you know, it's been, you know, it's, it's um, you know, one of these, sometimes you go into that bedroom and you're straightening up the bed and stuff, and, and your eyes kind of glance up there, and, and then your soul, you know, well, I'm going to have to deal with that someday. And what Ezra is saying to us in our individual lives is we try to take an example from a, 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 a nation and bring it down to individuals. He's saying this. Stand up, man. Play the man of God. Deal with your sins. And if we will confess our sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unless we deal with those little <laughs> favorite sins, those little ones that really become big ones, there'll be no renewal. David said, Search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. I'm simply bringing it to the end of this message, asking you, to realize that the, the most important thing in your life is your relationship with our God. And asking you to enter in with David and say, search me, O Lord, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way. To, to asking you to come over and and, and throw the door open into the closet and say, Lord, you go in there <laughs> and you take everything in there that's wrong and you expose it. And Lord, you help me to forsake it and enable me to live for you. That's the message. That's the intent of the whole message is that there comes a place where we're responsible to arise for this matter belongeth unto thee. Be of good courage and do it. Only you and God knows if there's something like that in your life. And only you and God can deal with it but it must be dealt with. Let's bow for prayer, and then Chris, we want to, is there that song in our songbook, Search Me, O Lord? Okay, we'll sing that. Let's pray. Let's just do business with God here for a minute.